Hi, folks. Welcome to Fig Tree Ministries. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking that red subscribe button below and click that bell to make sure you get notified every time we upload a new video. Enjoy today's lesson. So we were talking about how complex Scripture can be, and even a story that we've heard so many times, there's a depth of complexity to it that when we stare at it enough, when we go close to it, when we start picking it apart, and especially when we start putting context around the words, often we see new things. Now, that's, that shouldn't be surprising because God is infinite, and we're staring at His Word, and as you should always be able to see something new, and then as your life changes— so every time you go back and read it, you're different, right? So as you interact with the Bible, you're different, so you could see things differently that way. So this is a complex story, and I was—thank you for the prayer for, to pray for me, because I felt—last night I was, like, thinking to myself, there's a lot here. It's overwhelming. And I know we're going to even have to do a—we're going to have to do a PS to this whole thing next week, because— there's just not enough time, and I don't want to overwhelm everybody's sponges on a, on a Sunday morning. So we'll go through this again today, Zacchaeus. And um, for those of you who weren't here last week, you'll have to check out week one. It's on YouTube, because we're going to be a leaps and bounds ahead of everybody if you weren't here last week. All right, so the Zacchaeus story ends up if you want to turn in your Bible to Luke 19, 1 to 10, you can have Luke 19 open, and then you might want to stick a finger or a piece of paper in Luke 3, because we are going to reference Luke 3. Beyond that, we won't do a whole lot of turning in the Bible. So Luke 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. And one of the things that I tried to, well, I introduced last week, and we'll talk about today, is the fact that Luke is a liter is a full literary container, okay? So the book of Luke, and then you could even go to the book of Acts, because Luke wrote that as well. If you only read the book of Acts as, a, as one book, you, Luke has a purpose. He has a theological purpose. He's telling us about Jesus. He's also got a purpose in the way that he wants us to see his scripture. And so as we reference back in things to Luke, it's because in a, in a literary context, you would assume that the author, he's placing things in particular orders, and, and he's, he's writing in a way that's going to make connections. That's what we're looking for. All right, so I showed you this quote last week. This is from Kenneth Bailey. Ken Bailey was a, was a scholar who spent the majority of his time operating in the East. And what he did was really opened up Westerners' eyes to Eastern thought about the text. So one of his famous sayings, is we must rescue truth from familiarity. We become so familiar with the text, just like Zacchaeus, that we don't look deeply enough into it, and then we miss things. And so his challenge was always to go look as deep as possible, see what's there, because there's probably something there that we're missing. So starting on, if you're looking at your notes... The overall message, this is what I tried to show last week, the overall message of Luke 19, 1 to 10, that's the story of Zacchaeus, and we tend to make that the focus. But it's a prophetic 
passage. And it's a warning to those in power. Now, when I say prophetic, think about the Old Testament prophets. What are they upset with? They're upset at the leaders of Israel. They're upset with the injustices that are being allowed to happen. They're upset with not taking care of the poor, the widows. They're upset with marginalizing people, not including them in the community of God. So, one of the things we have to see in this text is a very powerful warning to those in power. And that would be a prophetic voice from Jesus to say, watch out, you priests, don't do this to people. God doesn't like it when you marginalize people, in particular, this tax collector, Zacchaeus. So we'll stick to this, and God willing, I'll be able to show you a couple more points and where this comes out. It's ve- it comes out very powerfully. And then even next week, uh, I'll have to add, that's my PS for next week, is a little bit more on the prophetic side to, of it. All right, so as this is kind of a review of what we did last week, and then talking about what we have to look again this week. So last week, we focused almost entirely on Jericho and the fact that Jericho was a priestly city. You could call it priestly Jericho. The priests, for a couple hundred years, had dominated that city, and in Jesus' day, were still dominating the city. That is lost on our Western minds. We don't have the context of that. So the moment the text says they went through Jericho and there's a crowd, we would automatically have to think priests. Now, where else would we know that from? Well, the very last sentence we'll see today comes from Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 is God railing against the priests, the shepherds of Israel. So the fact that this little group of passages, 19, 1 through 10, starts with Jericho and ends with a warning to the priests tells you what the message is aimed at. That was all last week. We also talked about the idea of toll collectors. Now, our Bibles say tax collectors, and you might say, well, what's the big deal? Well, we just want to be as accurate as possible. Toll collector, somebody who works at a commerce center like Jericho, collecting tolls on the road. So as people are passing through Jericho, Zacchaeus and his team, because he's the chief tax collector, would be out collecting taxes in figs or balsam or cabbages or whatever else they're growing down there or is passing through. We'll talk more about toll collectors in a minute. Zacchaeus, we brought up all kinds of things about Zacchaeus. Why, does he, why can't he push his way into the crowd? Why does he have to go climb a tree? We'll look again in a minute. Was he actually cheating people, or do we just make those assumptions? And then the final one was this idea of the son of Abraham. Jesus is declaring... Zacchaeus, you're a Jew too. You believe in God, you can be part of the community, and those priests are keeping you out. And that's where, that's the prophetic message. He does that by quoting the son of Abraham, which is a, as we saw last week, that's a powerful theme within Luke. Okay, so that's, again, we're going to, we're going to review all of this again today and and ask more questions of the text. Now, we ended last week with these questions about Zacchaeus. 
And again, for those who are the this is your first week with the Zacchaeus, you'll have to go back and check out that last week's video because it really sets the foundation for what we're going to talk about today. But the main question was, was he actually cheating? Did he cheat somebody? And what we I noted last week is there's scholarly disagreement on verse 8. Verse 8 is the it creates hate and discontent because it's ambiguous. And Luke left us with an ambiguous text, and now it depends on how we read that text. So if you have your Bible open and you want to look at verse 8, this is how we were finishing last week. So verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And then here's the crux. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, the main problem is that word if, because it doesn't mean since I defrauded. It doesn't mean yes, I've defrauded. Scholars look at that and say, well, he's defending himself. He's like, look, if I've defrauded someone, I restore it. That's what the Bible says to do. So that's the main one, the if idea. If I've defrauded. So we don't know. The other part, and these are the two main, I'll show you in a second. Um, I put these two articles on your sheet. These two verbs, to give and to restore, Luke has them in the present tense. So, some Bibles say, I will give to the poor. Well, they just turned that present tense verb into the future tense. And so scholars, again, will argue, well, why did Luke put it in the present tense? He's telling us something about the present, what Zacchaeus is doing in the present. Same with restore. Uh, again, we'll review that in a, in a minute as what this debate is all about. So this was how we ended last week. And I don't know that I can give you a straight-up answer. I'm not trying to make a dogmatic statement about how to read it. I just want you to see that there's disagreement, and we need to at least know that there's disagreement there so that we can look deeper into the text. So the question is really, is it a defense or is he resolving? Is, is Zacchaeus offering a defense to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, they're accusing me of being a sinner. I tell you I do this. Or is it a resolve? Jesus, now that you're here, I resolve to do something in the future. That's the main debate. So we're not going to belabor the point on the scholars, but at the bottom of your sheet, I listed a couple different names and articles that you could read, and you can see the titles of the articles are either Defense or Resolve. So Joseph Fitzmeyer. Fitzmeyer is a well-known, very solid, he's big league hitter when it comes to scholarship. His uh, commentary on Luke, he goes with the defense side, and then this was followed by an article on your sheet, Alan Mitchell. You guys don't know these. I'm just throwing names at you at this point. Mitchell is a, a professor at Georgetown University. They go with the defense side, and then, of course, the resolve. That's how most of us know the story. That's the traditional view. And I put an article on there from a scholar named Dennis Ham, Creighton University. So, these two guys, Mitchell and Ham, you know, they're having a little Twitter battle back in before Twitter in the 80s. You do, you do, when scholars have Twitter battles, they do it in uh, scholarly journals. But they were going back and forth writing about how to read this text. So I just want you to know that the argument is out there. And if you want more information, I'll 
I'll help you sort that out. So one thing we didn't cover last week. Okay, now I'm going to shift gears from the, the argument. And the argument is, is he defending himself or is he resolving? We'll come back to it at the end. One reason that you would say he's defending himself is in the first century, you have whole groups of people that existed in what we would call despised trades. Now, that's a tax collector. Because you're a tax collector, people don't like you. Now you're lumped in with a group. So instead of saying, Jesus wants us to focus on the individual, not the group. The individual is where the power is. The individual repents. Don't label him because he's in a particular trade. That's what happens. We still do this today. So there's a book called Jerusalem in the Time of Jesus, Joachim Jeremias. Well-known book about, it's just data after data after data of Jerusalem in the Time of Jesus. And he has a list of a number of despised trades that are listed in Jewish writings. So, for instance, when we think about the despised trades, one of the problems that happens is you're assumed guilty. Now, the word assumed is what we really need to focus on. If you're in this trade, you're assumed guilty or unclean. You're also, according to the rabbis, beyond forgiveness. Now, right there, we should say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Nobody's beyond forgiveness. But, according to the Bible, there are certain trades that if you're committing crimes, there's no way to restore, there's no way to get forgiveness back, and they're claiming that you're beyond forgiveness. So these are the two things with despised trades. Now, let me show you a couple of the trades, and I'll show you why they say they're despised. Oh, and I have these on your sheet down at number four. So the first two, like donkey driver and camel driver, and you'd think, why would a donkey driver or a camel driver be a despised trade? Well, it has to do with entrusting their delivery people. That's the Amazon of the first century, right? The Amazon driver would, would, have, been, would have been leading a donkey. And you're entrusting that donkey driver with your goods, if you have to ship your goods. And so the, the idea is the temptation to pilfer your goods is so high that they must be stealing from you. And so people didn't trust donkey drivers, camel drivers. I'm giving you something of mine that's of value, and I'm entrusting you to deliver it. And their assumption is you're going to pilfer it, right? So it's who has the temptation to steal your goods? Shopkeepers, because it's so easy to, to, to gouge prices. It's so easy to take advantage of people, especially if they're in a, a foreign language. Sailors was another one on the list. Because a sailor delivers goods. And if your goods are in the bottom of the ship, the sailors might pilfer your goods. And then, of course, you have toll collector and tax collector. And the list, there's, there's many more. It's not only people who have the opportunity to steal. It's people who are considered unclean. So one of them is a tanner, a tanner who tans hides. They deal with chemicals and, or, well, natural chemicals that are going to help the tanning process. There's even a, a, a ruling that says if you're married to a tanner, you're allowed to divorce them because they're unclean. And if you can't handle the fact that they're unclean, well, then you're allowed to divorce them. So anyways, 
what happens when you have a whole groups of people, the whole cloth is considered guilty, right? So we go back to this, assumed guilt. That's a problem. So if you assume the tax collectors are guilty just because they're a tax collector, well, then we can justify all kinds of bad behavior. Or if you assume they're beyond forgiveness, there's no possible way that you can forgive them. So if Zacchaeus is seen as a tax collector, even we assume his guilt, right? Now, we don't, we don't believe in the beyond forgiveness, but just understand, this is what Jesus challenges. He wants to say, no, no, no. The individual is not beyond forgiveness. And I'll show you where they're pulling that from in the Bible in a minute, but that's a very powerful thing because this can happen anywhere where we begin to label people by the group they're in rather than as individuals. And the individual is king. That's what Jesus wants us to pay attention to. Okay, all of that is like a second introduction, very long introduction. Let's now go read through the story of Zacchaeus one more time, and then we'll look at some more of the details of what's going on in the text. Open your Bible, if you would, Luke 19, 1 through 10. This time, I'll read it with comment, because I just want to point out all these things that we've been going through. Oh, by the way, also, I sent out, the third sheet I sent out is basically verses uh, 19, 1 through 10, with all my notes, just to help you see where each of these details, to help you pick them out. All right, so he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, Jericho, priestly city, so we know that's who's there, the priests and the Levites, the religious authority. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. We'll talk about what his name means in a minute. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. That one's going to enter, I'll show you in a minute. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So why can't he push his way through the crowd? Well, because he's, a despise, he's, a, he's from a despised trade, and you're dealing with priests who are righteous people, and they can't deal with you. Right? And that's the opposite of what a priest is supposed to be. A priest is supposed to find a way for Zacchaeus to connect to God, even if he's a tax collector. Okay, verse 4. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. That's the priests. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. To this, Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. All right, that's, and that last verse, by the way, that's Ezekiel 34. We'll talk more about that in a minute. All right, so here's one of the things we have to deal with. 
that I mentioned a couple times. What does the name Zacchaeus mean? So the Hebrew, Zakai, and it essentially means innocent or pure could be another way to put it. But now think about that for a minute. Luke includes the story about a guy whose name is innocent. Now, it's not a parable, so it's not like they're making this up. It's not a, it's not a fictional story. It's just that we have a story that Luke's going to include. Only Luke includes it. The guy's name means innocent, and everybody's accusing him of being a sinner. So the question becomes, and I think this is the real power, how do you read the stories? Luke wants you to explore how, what assumptions you make about Zacchaeus. Of course, we miss that whole thing because we just see the name Zacchaeus and assume he's never mentioned anywhere else. So it's, he's only mentioned here in Luke. So first of all, his name's innocent. So we'll, we'll set that aside as a probable lending to the story. The next thing we have to look at is the text says that he's wealthy or rich. Now, if we think about Luke, the book of Luke, and you get a story about a tax collector who's rich, wealthy, who says, I give to the poor, and Jesus then declares salvation, we'd want to say, well, where have we heard a story about a rich man prior to this? Well, it literally, oh, I just backed up, sorry. Literally, about two paragraphs before the Zacchaeus story in Luke 18, 18 to 30, is a story that we also all know, the rich young ruler. Then you get Luke 19, 1 to 10, and rich Zacchaeus. And this word right here, the word that Luke uses for rich, and the word that Luke uses for wealthy, are the same exact word. So we can connect those stories and say, what's the difference? The rich young ruler was obeying all the commandments. What wouldn't he do? He doesn't give to the poor. Zacchaeus, who everybody assumes is a sinner, says, I'll give to the poor, right? So the difference is this. One says, no, I can't depart. I can't. I won't use my wealth to help the poor. Zacchaeus says, no, 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 I'll use my wealth. Whether it's in the future or in the present, it doesn't matter. The, the point is, these are right next to each other. And one of the questions in the, in the rich young ruler story, the disciples say, who can be saved? Like, how hard is it to be saved if you're wealthy? And the very next, within moments, the next story is about a tax collector that's saved. So it's, uh, you can juxtapose these two stories, and every commentary will mention that these are so close together you, that we ought to read them next to each other and say, what, what are the differences here? What's going on with somebody who's wealthy? And it's about how you handle your wealth. What are you doing with the money that you have or the wealth that you have? Okay, so we have the name Zacchaeus, innocent. You have the idea of rich and then comparing that back to the rich young ruler. And then Something that we, we don't miss, we, because, and again, it's not our fault, we just don't fully understand the context of our Old Testament as 20th century Christians, is the idea of the laws of restitution. So when, when Zacchaeus says, I will, I will pay back four times, where is he getting that? He's not just making that up. 
It's coming from the Bible. So I want to show you how he's engaging his Bible, the Old Testament. You can turn there if you want. I'll put them on the screen. That'll help. There's a number of times in the Old Testament where they list out if somebody steals or does something, how you make restitution. And it's in the process of making restitution that you receive forgiveness from God. That's why they say if you're a, if you're a donkey driver or a tax collector that you can't, get, um, you can't receive forgiveness because there's no way to restore from all the people that you stole from. So the first one is Exodus 22.1. It has to do with animals. And I'm only going to, I only put, I didn't have enough space on my screen, so I only put up there four times for sheep. So what happens? Here's what Exodus 22.1 says. It says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it. So think about what's happening. I took the animal, the ox or the sheep, and I killed it or I sold it, which means that I can't just give you back the same animal. It's either dead or it's gone. I sold it to somebody else. How then shall I repay you for what I've done? Well, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and then four sheep for a sheep. Now, there's a great example of this. There's a great example from David. Uh, it's, in, it's in 2 Samuel. When David, uh, David has the affair and then he has Bathsheba's wife killed, or um, husband killed, and Nathan, the prophet, comes up to him and tells him a parable about somebody who killed a sheep. And he says, now, what's the restitution? And David says he owes him four times. So David's following the biblical text. You, you repay him four times for the sheep. So if we go back to this, Exodus 22.1, that's a law of restitution, but it has to do with animals. Then, next on the sheep, Leviticus 6.1-5. through 5. This one, cheating extortion, theft. And what you do is you pay back the original amount. So I steal a dollar, I pay you back a dollar plus 20 cents, 20%. So let me show you this one, because now the, now the picture of Zacchaeus will start to become clear. So Leviticus 6, 1 through 5. So the Lord said to Moses, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something. He's going to say, is, if anyone sins by stealing from his neighbor, but notice that you're unfaithful to the Lord if you cheat your neighbor. So, this is, again, how do you get forgiveness from the Lord from what you did? So, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord, by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them, think donkey driver, left in their care, or about something stolen, or if they cheated a neighbor, or if they find lost property and lie about it. So any kind of deceit or cheating or anything, or if they swear falsely about any such sin, the people may commit. All right, what do you do? Verse 4, when they sin in any of these ways, and realize their guilt. So once you realize that you've committed the act, what do you do? You must return what they've stolen or taken by extortion. Sound familiar? Or was entrusted to them, think donkey driver, 
or lost property they found or whatever they swore falsely about. And then here's the restitution. They must make restitution in full, add a fifth to the value of it. So, by the way, there's one more place. Numbers, uh, we're not going to read it, but Numbers 5, verse 7 has the same idea about cheating. Now, which category is Zacchaeus? Well, he's clearly not stealing animals. He's in the cheating and the extortion business, right? But notice what he says to Jesus. If I have stolen, so it's almost like you could read it, if I realize that I've defrauded somebody, I'll pay them back. And then he says this four times. So notice he's upping the game. And sorry, he's upping the game, but he's engaging the Bible. He's not just randomly picking out rest, uh, restitution. He wants to engage the text. He's a Jew. He, he loves God. He wants to engage God's commandments. And so he's now trying to outdo the commandment itself by bumping it up. So I just want you to know. That four times is not random. He's pulling it from the list, but he's, he's elevating his game a bit here. He's trying to show Jesus just how seriously he takes it if he makes, um, if he defrauds somebody. Okay, all of that, all of that context hopefully starts to pull all of this stuff out into, oh yes, there's... There's something going on with the priest. There's something going on with Zacchaeus. He's, he's engaging the Bible, right? But the priests don't want to accept it. And that's the real issue. So if we, if we just think to ourselves, well, how could we read this as a defense or a resolve? And like I said, I don't want to be dogmatic about it. I just want to show you that you can read it as a defense. And what can we learn if we, if we look at it as a defense? What do we learn? What do we learn about religious leaders? What do we learn about how we might judge people unfairly that are in a particular group? What do we learn about ourselves if we think of it as a defense rather than a resolve? So I want to take you down a path of defense and just show you real quick. What if we think about it as a defense? And I want to take you back in Luke to show you how we can link some of these passages together that Luke has something in mind that he's telling us. Okay, so if we go down the idea of defense, meaning Zacchaeus has already repented, or at least is within his business of being a tax collector, he's trying to live out biblical righteousness, meaning treating people correctly. So if we go back to the story of John the Baptist, at the very beginning, and this is what, again, as you read scholarly analysis of this, they clearly see echoes of the John the Baptist story, because when John is baptizing, only six miles away from Jericho, a group of toll collectors, now it's toll collectors, not the tax collectors, a group of toll collectors show up. And so then you have to think, well, wait a minute, is Zacchaeus, is he possibly part of that group? Does he know what's going on? If you see a stream of people going out to a river to be baptized by a prophet, are you going to check it out? So, is Luke trying to connect these two stories? So, if we go to Luke 3, 10 to 14, and this is, I'll, I'll let you turn there. 
because this is important to see how only Luke describes the idea of the tax collectors coming out. So that would be key to understanding what he's doing in in the literary context. So in Luke 3, John is obviously saying, you need to repent. It's not the idea of conversion. It's we believe in God. We're just not acting correctly. So it's like a Christian who says, look, I repent. I need to change my ways and go back towards God. It doesn't mean I disavowed God. It just means I'm not acting in accordance with the way I should. So they come to John, and the crowd says, what should we do then? And watch John's response. The first thing he says is, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. So he's, he's talking about charity. Take care of those who are in chaos. You don't, someone doesn't have a shirt, they're in chaos. Help, you have two of them, make sure they get, they're covered. They don't have food, make sure they have food. Don't let them exist in chaos while you have plenty. So it's a charity issue. So that's to the crowd. Then look at verse 12. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Now that's a, that should yeah, blow, our, blow our minds apart as to see that the tax collectors are out with John wanting to be baptized, right? Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And of course, he's going to say, don't collect any more than you're required to. Be an honest tax collector. Then, of course, this is even more radical, soldiers asked him. Now, we assume Roman soldiers? Either way. Then soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, here's where we're going to connect this to Zacchaeus. Not only the tax collectors, but this phrase right here, don't accuse people falsely. That phrase, let me pull up the next slide, don't accuse people falsely. It's one Greek word. The Greek word is sukophanteo. Don't accuse people falsely. It only shows up two times, two times in the entire New Testament. Both of them are in Luke. One of them is here. And you'll never guess where the other one shows up. In the Zacchaeus story, it's verse 8, that verse that causes so much hate and discontent. So he's got one word that's only used twice in the Bible, or twice in the New Testament, and it connects John the Baptist to Zacchaeus says, if I have cheated anyone, it's this same word right here. Now, that should say, oh, wow, Luke is up to something. He's, he's making a connection, because if you only hear a word... Now, we are modern scholars, and, and we don't read our Bible that way. First of all, we're reading it in English. In the first century, to connect words of a sacred text, that's what they love to do, to find meaning in all of this. So when you see a word that's rarely used, and then it shows up, and you say, where did I hear that before? Ah, the author wants me to make a connection. Each word, these are the words of God, each word matters. So you could connect whatever's happening with John, that whole repentance issue, with Zacchaeus, because they're using that same word. And so the question becomes, if you look back, if you look at what Zacchaeus does, all of his actions are matching in repentance with John. 
don't cheat people, don't extort money or cheat people for money. Make sure you don't collect more than you should and take care of the poor. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus is saying he's doing. I give to the poor, and if I find out that I've cheated anybody, I make sure I restore that. So he's following whatever John said to do. Now that right there should wake us up and say, aha, something's going on here. So now what I want, I'd like to do is read Luke 19, 7 through 10 again, now that we know this connection, right? So I'm going to pull this one from the NASB for a very particular reason. How they translate the Greek. So if you look down at verse, it's Luke 19, verse 7, we're back in the Zacchaeus story. And watch how this flow would go. So when the people saw this, that would be, that would be the uh, priests, they began to complain. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, that is the accusation. They're accusing Zacchaeus of being a sinner. Now comes Zacchaeus' defense, assuming it's, if it's a defense. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, and that word stopped, some of your Bibles say stood up. It's, it can be used as stood up, but it also means something more concrete. He's making a stand. So is he making a, def, uh, a stand in his defense to say, wait a minute. So he, st he stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I am giving to the poor. Now that's NASB. And notice they put it in the present tense, I am giving. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I am giving back four times as much. So that's in keeping with Luke. Uh, unfortunately, the NIV says, you know, something like, from this point forward, here and now, I, start, I will give to the poor, as if he's making a line in the sand going forward. Okay, now watch Jesus' response, because let's say Zacchaeus actually was being repentant. He's following what John is saying, but the priest won't accept it. They're keeping him, they're still including him as a sinner, right? So Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house. So it's, it's like, Jesus, I'm acknowledging, Zacchaeus, everything you're doing, God sees you. And you're not beyond forgiveness, Zacchaeus. God wants to bring you home. And I'm here as the shepherd of Israel to bring you home. So today salvation has come to this house. Why? Because you too, Zacchaeus, are a son of Abraham. Even though those priests have been kept you out of this religious community, I'm here to tell you, you're coming back in. And that, of course, is an amazing message that anybody would want to hear who feels like they've been pushed out to the margins. Now, just a note here, just a little detail, because this is important to know. There's a play on words happening. Assume that Jesus is speaking Hebrew, right? Today, salvation. Now, the word salvation in Hebrew is yasha. And Jesus' name in Hebrew is God's salvation, Yahshua. So he says, it's almost like, picture Jesus with a little glimmer in his eye as he winks at Zacchaeus and says, today salvation has come to your house, because that's Jesus' name essentially means salvation. It's God's salvation. We got a little play on words, and I think sometimes we, we don't read Jesus as being 
witty. But I think in this case, there's some wit going on as he's kind of winking at Jesus saying, I came to your house today, Zacchaeus. So anyways, just a thought, Jesus is God's salvation, and he's arriving at Zacchaeus' house. And then comes this last verse, and this is where the whole thing really gets pulled together. For the Son of Man, now that phrase, Son of Man, it shows up 107 times in the Old Testament. 93 of those, 93 out of 107, is in the book of Ezekiel. So when you hear, for the Son of Man, you go Ezekiel, because that's the majority of where the Son of Man is. And then he says, has come to seek and save that which was lost. And that is a quote from Ezekiel 34. So it's pulling, Jesus is saying, I'm the shepherd. The priests have ignored you, and I'm now, as God, and as God incarnate, coming to shepherd the flock. And watch out, you priests. So that's the, that's the real punch of what's going on in that verse. So if you, if you read it that way, you read it as, they accuse him of being a sinner, he stands up to say, Jesus, I'm not doing that, I've repented, and Jesus saying, then I acknowledge your salvation. So that's just another way to read the text, and I think we can see some things in there, particularly the warnings about religious leaders and making sure we don't push people to the margins. All right, let's get back here. So, you could, how do we follow that? Well, John the Baptist, from the toll collectors that showed up to John the Baptist, only six miles away from Zacchaeus, and watching Zacchaeus's actions. Jesus doesn't want people to judge you because of the group you're in. He wants you to judge your individual actions. And if they're keeping him from God because, of it, because he's a tax collector, then woe to the priests, is essentially what he's saying. All right, so here's our review. So we look at Jericho, we have the priests. My battery went dead on my clicker. You have Ezekiel 34, very powerful. We'll look at a couple things from Ezekiel 34 next week. I apologize too much today. You have the toll collectors. Did they go out to see John the Baptist? You have Zacchaeus. His name means innocent, and it, and it, some scholars think he's making a defense for his, his actions. And of course, Jesus making the claim that no, God's salvation is here, Zacchaeus. You're a son of Abraham too. You belong in the, the covenant family. All right, so hopefully, again, as more context is drawn out, we're able to pull some truth out of there and see things maybe in a different light than we did before. Read it deeper. Go back and read it again. Read the John the Baptist. Read Ezekiel 34. Allow that to meditate and watch if God can help put this stuff together. So without leaving you completely I know I've said I don't want to be dogmatic about either way you read it, whether it's a defense or a resolve. But if I had to choose one, I like the defense. I really do. I like it only because, well, it makes sense with the word if, it makes sense with the present tense verbs, it makes the connection to John the Baptist very powerful, it fits Luke's theme, and it sends a very strong message to 
all of us that anytime we judge people by the group they're in, we've got a problem. We've lost something. That the individual is king as long as that individual is acting in accordance, is trying to go in the right direction. So, you know, I think you've, we've all seen in the past few years that the, as we've been going through these biblical stories, how often something pops up when you can see more context to what's going on. And that's just another reason that I, I like to look at alternate views of things, so I'm okay with going with the defense. But if you're wondering where I lean, I kind of lean that way just because I like the, the deeper message that's going on. Anyways, you think about that. I'll leave it up to you, obviously. And again, I don't want to be dogmatic and tell you how we should think about things. Okay, next week, I got to do a PS because there's more connections in, in uh, Leviticus, or I'm sorry, Ezekiel 33 and 34 that have to do with 34 is, the, is anger at the priest. God's not upset with the priest. And then 33, there's some stuff about who gets declared to be righteous. So we'll do that next week as kind of a PS. And then the very next thing we're going to do, which I'm leading up to, is there's a parable. Very next parable in Luke is told. And it, the setting, the, the, it's an amazing setting of Jericho. There's something in Jericho that when Jesus tells this parable, the way that he tells it, is brilliant. It's just brilliant, but you got to know the setting of what's there in Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. So we'll do that next week, as, along with the Zacchaeus P.S. Thanks for joining us under the fig tree for today's lesson. If you like this video, be sure to hit the like button below. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell to be notified every time I upload a new lesson. You can also check out more teachings here at our YouTube channel or at figtreeteaching.com and enjoy learning about the sweetness of God's words.